If you're able, would you remain standing? And for a scripture reading, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 3? The book of Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 of the general epistle to the Hebrews. Hebrews 3, 1. This is the word of our Lord. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we pray to bless this passage to our hearts, open our eyes to see glorious things concerning you in this passage. For us in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Hebrews is uh, called a general epistle, and uh, the term general epistles, uh, epistle governs this group of epistles that don't have a church indicated in the introduction or somewhere in the body. They, so they are called the general, the Catholic epistles, because they're considered to be for the church at large. And as we read Hebrews, we know that the author intended, seems to have intended for a particular congregation of most Jewish, mostly Jewish believers, uh, ethnic Jews that come to Christ. And the general epistle to the Hebrews is a book of betters. Uh, this congregation was considering returning to a pre-Christ Judaism because of the harsh persecution it was experiencing everywhere, in society, in a synagogue, in their businesses. And they're thinking, you know what, we've had enough. Can we just go back to how things were before we became Christians? Can we just worship God that we did before we came to Christ Things were a little easier in this life at that point. So the Holy Spirit inspired the human author to show, how, to show them how Christ is better than what they had before. Even though they're suffering persecutions now, Christ was better than what they have before. That the life now, even though it's difficult, it's better than the life without Christ. And to, to make that point, the, the author of Hebrews says that Christ is better than the Old Testament prophets. Because he has a better message. See that um, earlier on in the book, we all, he, uh, the author also tells us that Christ is better than the angels because he is God himself. Seems like the first century Jews had developed some weird ideas about angels and their superiority and how they um, had a sort of veneration of adoration of worship that they brought to the angels. And, and the author says, no, Christ is better than the angels. And he says that he's better than the high priest because he became just like one of us, yet without sin. 
And now, when we come to our passage, the point that the author is making is that Christ is better than the most prestigious Old Testament saint, Moses himself. And that's the point that the Holy Spirit's making here in verses 1 through 6 and following verses. And the main thing he commands them to do is to consider Jesus in verse 1, where he says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. It is a command, it is an imperative to consider Jesus, and to consider (coughs) means to direct one's whole mind to an object. To have your mind consumed with that thing. It means to immerse oneself in an object and therefore to apprehend it in its whole compass. To have your mind examining that particular thing that you're considering so fully that you're dominated by it and you understand all sides of that thing. It means to, to ponder, to come to know, to grasp. To understand. And that's what the Holy Spirit's telling the Hebrews and through them us to do, to consider Jesus. And the tense of the verb consider tells us that the Holy Spirit wants them to start considering Jesus. They had stopped. Seems like they, they were not doing that. They're not considering Jesus in this way that He wants them to consider them. It seems like these Christians were not paying much attention to Jesus. For this is the second time, it's only chapter 3 of 13, is already the second time that the author encourages them or commends them or exhorts them to consider Jesus, to focus on Jesus. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. The same concept of considering giving the more earnest heed. And the Holy Spirit will at least one more time direct them to consider Jesus. Remember at the end, uh, we have in, verse, uh, in chapter 11, we have that, the cloud of witness, the hall of faith. And then chapter 12 tells us that because we have such a, a um, cloud of witness that's gone before us, we can run the race that God has set before us. And in chapter 12, verse 3 says that we run that race, how? Considering Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And on top of that, there are five very strong warnings about the result of not considering Jesus. What happens to those who fail to consider Jesus? And yet, despite all these warnings, despite all these exhortations to consider Jesus, it's so easy to forget Jesus. Even in the church, or even as we try to serve Him, Sometimes the doing becomes the focus, not the reason for what we're doing. Life, everyday life, and gets sometimes to be a grind, and we forget that holiness is not an end in and of itself that we're doing this because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of what we've done for what He's done for us, because of what He's going to do for us. And we, it, with the the Hebrews, we tend to forget to consider Jesus. So the Spirit says, you want to abandon Christ? You want to abandon Christianity? Stop and think about Jesus, His beauty and majesty, His work on your behalf. Immerse yourself in Him and everything about Him. Give your mind over completely to Him. And that's the exhortation that we have here in chapter 3, verse 1. And the Holy Spirit then in this passage gives us four reasons why they and us should consider Jesus. 
And I want us to pay close attention to these four reasons. The first one is this. Consider Jesus because you have been set apart and called for this very purpose. Look at verse 1 again, the beginning of verse 1. And look at how he addresses the believers. He says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. The two ways that the Holy Spirit addresses the saints. Holy brethren and called ones. If you were to read chapter 2, you'd see that at the end of chapter 2, the Holy Spirit says that Jesus is our brother by virtue of His incarnation, His becoming like us, and in Him we are each other's brothers and sisters. But now He tells us that we're part of a holy brotherhood. That's our identity, part of this holy brother, brotherhood. You and I, through faith in Jesus Christ, have been separated, set apart to be in the family of God. We were adopted and now share in all the privileges of being sons and daughters of God. We are children of the King. We are part of a holy brotherhood. And that's why the Apostle John says in 1 John 3, 1, that behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. How does he describe that love? That we may be called children of God. So consider the one who guaranteed your adoption, that is Jesus Christ. We have been set apart with the specific purpose of being with Jesus, and to abandon that is to forsake our very reason for existence as Christians. We are a holy brethren that is set apart to be with Jesus. This idea of brotherhood is going to come again at the end of the chapter in verse 12, where the again the Holy Spirit warns, gives a severe warning against the danger of apostasy. Don't leave Christ because you're part of this holy brotherhood. You're being set apart to serve Christ. And not only are we not only have we been separated unto a holy brotherhood, we have also have been called with a heavenly calling, according to verse 1 of chapter 3. We share the same family. We share the same calling. And notice that it's not any calling, it's a heavenly calling, or better yet, a heavenward calling. F.F. F. Bruce was a, 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 good, a very good commentator on... Hebrews, a good New Testament scholar, says that this calling marks them out as citizens of a realm not circumscribed by the conditions of earthly life. They are set apart by God for himself, made members of his family, and called to share in, the, in his eternal rest. And to abandon Christianity, then, is to abandon all of that, all that Christ has done for us. So because you have been called by God, the Holy Spirit says, fix your thoughts on Jesus, pursue him, know him. One of my favorite commentaries um, in, in my library is the one by Matthew Henry. It's an older commentary written in 1666. Well, there's 666 there. I don't know if it means anything. But uh, 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 it's one, one, in my opinion, one of the most devotional, um, beneficial commentaries that I have on my, my library, second only to Calvin's commentary. And Matthew Henry describes this calling that we're talking about here as the calling which brings down heaven into the souls of man, raises them up to heavenly temper and conversation, and prepares them to live forever with God in heaven. 
That's the calling that we have in Jesus Christ. That's this heavenward calling that we have. And if you are a professing Christian and you're thinking about abandoning Christianity, you would be abandoning the fellowship with the infinite God who loves his people infinitely. You'd be abandoning this holy brotherhood, this heavenward um, call. So that's the first reason, the call that we have. The second reason is that we are to consider Jesus is that he is the apostle and a high priest of our confession. Look again at verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. We understand Jesus is a high priest. That, that makes sense to us. Jesus went into the holiest place in the heavenly sanctuary, and with his own blood, he made propitiation for our sins so that the Father can be appeased and we can have access to him. That's not a hard concept for us to grasp. We understand that. But Jesus as an apostle is not a concept that we are used to thinking about. Yet, if we stop and think about what an apostle is, it makes complete sense that Jesus is called the apostle of our confession. What is an apostle? Well, an apostle is one who is sent with a message and is a witness of God's glory. And this is a constant theme in Jesus' ministry. Would you turn to me with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3? Don't let Hebrews go. Turn to John, chapter 3, verse 17. We're going to look through a few verses in John to show to you that Jesus is the apostle in the exact definition of what it means to be an apostle. The one who is sent with a message and is a testimony, a witness to the glory of God. In verse 17 of chapter 3, Jesus says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. What we see here, the God sent his son. Look at verse 34 of the same chapter. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. Here again, the son sent with a message. Look at uh, chapter 5, verses 36 through 38. But I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. Again, Jesus being sent with a message from the Father. I look at verse 57 of chapter 6. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Um, I have a whole lot more. I, I think this suffices for you to see that Jesus was sent from the Father, and that he was sent with a message. And then the last one we're going to look at, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 3. We're going to actually start at verse 1. 
where Jesus says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son also may be glorified you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Here, a message being sent and a testimony to the glory of God altogether. So Jesus is the apostle of our faith. Not only is Jesus the messenger, but he's also the message, which makes him even greater than an apostle. In, in the whole scheme of things. So the Holy Spirit here, is, here subtly introduces a notion that later on he's going to make explicit. Abandon Christ, who was sent by God, and you abandon any hope of knowing God. That's made very clearly in chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. And where that chapter concludes, it is a uh, fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God if you don't have Christ as the one who intercedes for you, the high priest and the apostle of your confession. So Jesus Christ is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Now, what is our confession? That's, is that the, did the Holy Spirit here had in mind the Westminster Standards or the three forms of unity? Now, the New Testament, the Christian confession is much simpler than that. In Greek and in English, it is, consists of three words, and that's it. What is our confession? Jesus is Lord, and that's it. Three little words. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3, Paul says, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord, that's our confession, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And we're only able to make that confession because of the Spirit working in us. Confession that Jesus Christ, a high priest and apostle, uh, our high priest and apostle, is our confession. Thirdly, we are to consider Jesus because he's better than Moses. That's what verses 2 through 6 tell us here in our passage. Now, the, the Jews held Moses in very high regard, even above Abraham. Even though they called Abraham their father, in practice, Moses was really their superhero uh, as far as humans go. Now, angels were great they were because they were instruments in giving them the law. Galatians tells us the law is given to Moses through angels. But Moses talked to God directly. Remember, in the, he was in the cleft of the rock where God talked to him, and then uh, he talked to him for 40 days. Remember how he came down from the mountain and his, his face was glowing because he was in the presence of God's glory. But Jesus is greater than Moses. And he's greater in the similarities and the dissimilarities. Look at the similarities between Moses and Jesus. Both were faithful to the one who appointed them. That's the point that uh, uh, verses 2 through 6 make. Both were involved in the care of the household of God. Both Jesus and Moses were involved in the 
care of the household of God. But the, 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 the ways that they were not similar, the dissimilarities are what makes Jesus greater than Moses. Moses was appointed by the covenant at Sinai. Jesus was appointed by a better covenant, as we read in chapter 8, the new covenant. Moses was a servant in the house of God. Jesus is the owner and builder of the house. And the builder and owner of the house receives more glory and honor than the house itself and all its servants. Moses was speaking about things to come. Jesus was the one of whom Moses spoke. So you can see that in, in even in their person and ministries, Jesus is much better than Moses. So the Holy Spirit asks, why should you fix your thoughts upon Jesus? Because he's greater than the greatest man, Moses himself. There's no one greater than Jesus. To return to Moses is to, ret- to return to Moses, to return to the law, is to return to something that's less glorious than what you have right now, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of persecution. Now, let me say a, a word about the house. Look at verse 2. We're going to read down to verse 6. Who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. The house that is built by God and is served by Moses and is owned by the son is the people of God. It is the church. Notice how the Holy Spirit refers to the people of God in Moses' time and the people of God in Christ as being one. Not two separate people, but one people. This house, or better yet, this household includes Moses and all the Old Testament saints. After all, who are the examples to our faith today? Hebrews 11 tells us a bunch of Old Testament saints. And every one of us who are in Christ are part of that household. Christ is the builder of his church that encompasses all times, both old and new. We are his house, and Moses is part of his house with us. He's part of this holy brotherhood. The fourth and last reason why we are to consider Jesus is that if we don't, we are doomed. Simple as that. Look at the end of verse 6. Whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. We are part of God's family if we hold fast to our confidence, our boldness in the gospel, that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, that's what they're struggling with. They are ashamed of being Christians. They are, they are fearful for the persecution that being Christians brought upon them. We are part of God's family if we hold fast to the rejoicing of our hope. God is true to His promises. That's our hope. 
in verses 17 through 20 of this same chapter says that God who cannot swear by one higher than himself swore by his own name. So that in the testimony of two unchangeable things, matters would be confirmed. So that's the rejoicing of our hope that God is true to all his promises. And we are part of God's family only if we hold fast to the end of our faith. And only those who hold fast to the end are part of the household of God. Therefore, the Holy Spirit issues a strong warning about not persevering to the end. In chapter 10, verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The scriptures teach that those who come to Christ will in no way be cast out. Right? The Lord says in John chapter 6, All that the Father has given to me will come to me, and I in no wise, in no way will cast them out. They'll be preserved to the end. God is going to preserve them to the end. And the way they will be preserved to the end, the way they will persevere to the end, is by considering Jesus. So the way for you and I to arrive at the end and to hear from our Lord's mouth, well done, my good and faithful servant, is by considering Jesus every moment of our lives. So let me ask, what what is it for you? Are you going to consider Jesus? You must if if you want to arrive at the end as a member of this holy brotherhood, the family of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, and we pray that indeed you'd keep Jesus always before us, that we might consider him in every, in every way, in every time, in every situation. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.